this is a faithful saying, deserving full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. 1 Timothy 1 and verse 15. Thanks for joining me today. This is Faithful Sayings, broadcast by the Leon Valley Church of Christ. Well, good morning and thanks for tuning in today. We are continuing our study in Proverbs chapter 13. We're going to be picking up in verse 13 about where we left off last week. And here we find the second poem about wisdom. I'm looking forward to studying with you today. I want to introduce our study by telling you about a man named Thomas J. Beale. He was very eccentric and he lived many years ago in the 1800s. And perhaps you're familiar with his name, maybe you've heard it in the news or something like this, because he claimed to have buried some treasure in Bedford County, Virginia. And as it turns out, he may not have ever existed. There's lots of evidence that that might be the case. But what is certain is that he's sent many people on a wild goose chase. Now, he left behind these pamphlets, which allegedly point to the location of this treasure, which supposedly is worth $43 million in today's money of gold and jewels and and things like this. And so many people have picked up these pamphlets, which he left, that are encoded. He used certain ciphers, and nobody knows the cipher that he used, and so countless people have tried to decode these things, and one of them they've managed to do, managed to decode, which just describes the treasure itself. But at any rate, there's lots of holes in the story, but that hasn't stopped hundreds of people from spending thousands and thousands of dollars through the years in a fruitless effort to find buried treasure in Bedford County, Virginia. Uh, No one has ever found it, uh, though many have, have looked. The Bible says that those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction, and that he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. It's from 1 Timothy 6, 9 and Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 11. We're going to continue our study of Proverbs chapter 3 this morning where Solomon is pointing to us, pointing us to real treasure. Real treasure that's not buried somewhere in in Virginia or in the ground anywhere in the earth, but it's right at our fingertips, each and every one of us. And it's found in our Bible. And he says this in Proverbs chapter 3, he says, Blessed is the one who finds wisdom, verse 13. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. For her profit is better than the profit of silver, and her gain better than fine gold. She is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire compares with her. Long life is in her right hand, and in her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant ways, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her, and happy are all those who hold her fast. The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding he established the heavens, and by his knowledge the deeps were broken up, and the skies drip with dew. And so that short passage in verses 13 through 20 there are this hymn to wisdom, the second one that we find here in the book of of Proverbs. And what this is telling us is that there's many people, and we can think of stories about the Thomas J. Beale treasure and probably many others, and maybe from our own experience, where we know of people, or perhaps we ourselves have just scrambled to stockpile material wealth or hit the jackpot 
or win the lottery. When the Lord extends the very thing that will make us truly, truly rich. And that's his wisdom. And it's not rich in the sense of I'm just going to, you know, make it rain $100 bills, not material rich, but rich in the sense of peace and honor and life. And I think that's what people are really gunning for when they start out to pursue money with reckless abandon in whatever form that takes, whether they're trying to track down buried treasure or trying to win the lottery or gambling or whatever the case may be, abandon their their families and just give themselves wholly to some business endeavor or enterprise or something like this in order to to make it rich. And, And many people do ultimately attain what they're what they're looking for, but at the cost of many things, right? Paul says they plunge themselves into ruin and destruction. It ruins relationships and families, and we can lose our souls over it. That's Paul's real, that's his real point there in 1 Timothy 6, is that people can abandon their, their very lives, their eternal life, in pursuit of earthly treasures. And I want to give you an example of what I'm talking about here because we don't have to look very far in the Scriptures. We certainly don't have to look very far in life, but there's many examples in, in the Scriptures of this. These folks who I think are looking for security or financial peace or comfort or happiness or uh, you know whatever the case may be, some sort of material success, and they're believing wholeheartedly that money, physical wealth can provide those things, can provide that comfort and security and joy and the big house and the car and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. You fill in the blank, whatever people are pursuing, right? They're, they're, they believe that money can provide those things abundantly and indefinitely. And take exhibit A, for example. This is from Jesus in Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. He says that the land of a rich man produced plentifully. This is verse 16. The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he said, uh, what, what shall I do since I don't have enough room for all my grain and all my goods? And he said, I will do this. I will store all my grain and goods. I'll tear, I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger barns so that I'll have room for all of my crops. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Now look at this. He says, relax, eat, drink, and be merry. So what was this man ultimately looking for? It wasn't necessarily the the material wealth in in and of itself, the goods and and, and the richness there. There's nothing wrong uh, with that. But what he was ultimately getting at and what he was pursuing was right this relaxation. That's what he was looking for. He was looking to relax, to take his ease, to enjoy life, and was trusting that these things, his his wealth, would get that for him, would allow him to take his ease. But do you remember remember how his story ended and what Jesus' point is? If you continue reading in the parable that Jesus says, God said to him, this man, you fool, This very night your soul is required of you. Now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So there was the issue. There's the rub, we might say, that he was not rich toward God. He was so focused on and he was just dialed in 
on the here and the now and his money and his wealth and his possessions and his barns and what he was stockpiling that he gave no thought to eternity. And then suddenly and unexpectedly his life is is over. You know, we don't really speak of being rich toward something, do we? That's that's kind of funny language to us. That might be a little awkward, right? Because that's directional. That's directional language. We talk about and we speak of walking toward our cars or toward the house or we speak of moving toward our families and things like this. So what does it mean to be rich toward God? How does one go about doing that so that we can avoid this rich man's fate? Well, that's where biblical wisdom comes in, and that's why Solomon is saying the things that he's saying here in Proverbs chapter 3. Why wisdom is more profitable than silver and gold and, and worth more than fine jewels. Because those who truly seek wisdom from God through his word have some guarantees in this regard, in that endeavor. Number one, they're going to find wisdom. They're going to find it. Just look at Proverbs chapter 2 from our study last week in verses 1 through 10. You will acquire wisdom. Right, Solomon says, if you incline your heart toward it, if you seek for it as for hidden treasure, as for silver and as for gold, you will find wisdom. And number two, if you apply it, you're going to reap the rewards in this life and in the next. And that's what the second half of Proverbs chapter 2 is all about. That Again, we studied last week or a couple of weeks ago, I guess now, in verses 11 through 22. That we'll have discernment and we can make good, sound choices and equitable choices and, and, and be just and righteous in, in our lives and have good, moral, sound judgment. So how does that benefit us? Well, we, we see in exercising biblical wisdom that we actually store up treasure in heaven. So that takes us back to what Jesus was saying about this man in the parable, that he was not rich toward God. He had nothing stored up in eternity. He had these, he was, his earthly barns were overflowing, but he had nothing, he had nothing stored up in heaven. And so this is how we become rich toward God. This is what Jesus commanded. Don't store up for your tre- yourselves treasures on earth, he says in Matthew chapter 6, where uh, thieves break in and steal and moth and rust destroy, but lay up for yourselves treasures in, in heaven, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, in Matthew six nineteen through 21. So Jesus is commanding this, and Paul, and Paul is explaining how the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to explain how we do that. And this is what he said in 1 Timothy chapter 6, Do good and be rich in good works. Be generous and ready to share storing up for yourselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that you may take hold of that which is life indeed. So there it is. In seeking biblical wisdom and applying biblical wisdom, we do good. We'll be rich in good works. We'll be generous and ready to share. We'll live with integrity. We'll be storing up for ourselves treasure in heaven. And therein, is true peace and comfort and security and strength and wealth and, and all the things that I think people so uh, desperately pursue, albeit in, in the wrong places in this life. So in living in God's wisdom, in living in God's wisdom and utilizing what we find in, in His Word, we may find ourselves blessed physically with affluence and health and length of days. And we talked about those things last week and the, the week before in Proverbs, how 
Proverbs is a book of probabilities and, and the, the health to our bones and the length of days and, and years added to our life and things like this, that those prefigure the eternal life and glory found in Jesus Christ, who in the new covenant is the power and wisdom of God manifested, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 24. And, and usually and typically we will find again, because I don't want to try to diminish this point, that in using God's wisdom, the, the probability of what the writer is saying, Solomon is saying in Proverbs, is, is very high, right? That in using God's judgment, we will make choices that lead to better circumstances financially and better circumstances in regard to our health and thus live, live longer and more prosperously in, in this, this world. And that's not a guarantee, and Proverbs is not a book of guarantees, and that's important that we should remember. But those promises of physical affluence, again, are precursors, and they prefigure the certainty, not the probability, but the certainty of eternal life and glory found in Jesus Christ. And those physical things, um, don't misunderstand me, having wealth is not sinful in and of itself, right? But it's when it's when riches increase and that people put their trust in them rather than God, that's what becomes that's what becomes sinful. And the Bible has much, much to say about that. We've looked at several passages already, but Psalm fifty two is is another one. Uh, for example, let me just read to you from Psalm fifty two, beginning in verse one here. Why do you boast in evil, O mighty man? The loving kindness of God endures all day long. Your tongue devises destruction. Like our sharp razor, a worker of deceit, you love evil more than good and falsehood more than speaking what is what is right. But God will break you down forever, verse 5. He will snatch you up and tear you away from your tent and uproot you in the land of the living. The righteous will see and fear and laugh at him, saying, Behold, verse 7, Behold the man who would not make God his refuge, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and was strong in his evil desire. But as for me, I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the loving kindness of God forever and ever, and I will give thanks, give you thanks forever because I have done it. You have done it, and I will wait on your name for it is good. And so the psalmist also says and, and turns worldly wisdom on its head and says it's, it's the man who trusts in his wealth that will ultimately end up the fool who didn't make God his refuge, but rather trusted in the abundance of the things that he had. He will be uprooted. And sadly, so many people are, are making that, that mistake. But, well, having wealth isn't sinful in of itself. Again, the Bible, the point the Bible is making is, is trusting and trying to find refuge in wealth and peace and security and comfort through something so fleeting. And it's true that Physical wealth is a blessing from God, and, and we should thank Him for it and use it in a way that, that honors Him. But may we never allow it to become an idol for us. The Word of God is, is able to grant us wisdom that leads to salvation because it leads to faith in Jesus Christ. That's what Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.15, that the Scriptures are able to make you wise to salvation, can give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Therein is real treasure. Therein is, is real reward and a real gift. Wisdom, Solomon says, is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. 
and those who lay hold of her will be called blessed. In our context, again, Proverbs 3 and verse 18. And again, that doesn't mean blessed necessarily in a material way. Typically, yes, but not necessarily. But it does, again, absolutely mean spiritually we will be blessed. Since real wisdom is given and governed by the Lord, it, the wisdom from God, and not money and and not anything else, for that matter, can establish and sustain us both in this life and, and into eternity. So as we move forward into the context now, Solomon gives us three ways in which we can exercise wisdom toward our fellow man, toward our neighbors, he says. And number one, he says, we can do that by not withholding good when it's in our power to do so. In the first couple of verses there, in verses 27 and 28. And then by we can do that by not doing harm to them, in verses 29 and 30. And then finally, number three, he says, by not envying them, in verses 31 and 32. So let's talk about that. As we move forward into the context, we see that we're to guard wisdom once it's been attained and we're to rest securely. And one of the many benefits are that is that our peace will be sleep. And Solomon names a number of other things here in verses 21 through uh, 25 and 26. But in verse 27, he says, Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, Go and come back, and tomorrow I will give it when you have it with you. So let's think about that for a second. As Solomon is speaking now specifically to how we can demonstrate God's wisdom and use God's wisdom in our relationships uh, with those around us. You know, all of this section, again, is dealing with behavior that's contrary to godly wisdom and is detestable to the Lord because in each of the things that Solomon is talking about, um, what he mentions, the sins that he mentions, violate the second greatest command, which is you shall love your neighbor as yourself, for I am the Lord. God says in Leviticus 19 and verse 18. Uh, so we can think of this text as Solomon is saying here, you know, don't withhold good from your neighbor from those whom it is due. Your Bible might say in verse 27, uh, when it's in our power to do it. We might think of that text in terms of like debts and financial obligations, and I think that there is an applica- application to be made in that regard. And we should certainly make that application that in timely repayment of borrowed money is pleasing to God uh, or borrowed money or borrowed anything else because the writer says later in, um, in the Psalms that the wicked borrows and does not pay back. That's in Psalm 31 and verse 21. The wicked borrows and does not pay back. And so it's, the Bible says it's evil. We're, we're evil if we're trying to put off our creditors or we're trying to make excuses or we're trying to avoid our financial obligations, and we're making all these delays and um, uh, excuses that are just unnecessary and they're unacceptable and they're and they're wrong. And that's an application that we should make that wise, God-fearing people will own up to their debts they will, and will relieve themselves of their debts really is the way to look at it at the first opportunity and really strive to avoid being in debt if at all possible. And Jesus had something to say about the good that we owe to others also, not just in terms of uh, uh, borrowed money or in finances, financial obligations and things like this, but you know when the subject of loving one's neighbor came up and came under discussion in the New Testament when someone asked him about what the first and greatest command is and what the second greatest command is, 
And Jesus turns the question around to him and he answers, well, you shall love your neighbor as yourself as the second greatest command. Uh, He wanted to justify himself. And so he said to Jesus, who is my neighbor? And remember what Jesus does as they're talking about this second greatest command that Solomon is speaking of here in Proverbs 3. Jesus tells the parable of the Good Samaritan to illustrate our obligation to help those who are in need, right? Because the point of that parable is that everyone is is our neighbor. And if we see an opportunity to help someone, uh, then we need to, to see that, uh, see to that. But I think also there's a spiritual application. There's a spiritual application to be made here as well. Because Paul... Paul also acknowledges that those of us who have the gospel have a spiritual debt to all men to share the good news. As he says in Romans chapter 1, he says, I am under obligation, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish, he says. And he'll also say in the same book that we should owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. And so there's the spiritual application that I think this passage was looking forward to and anticipating. I think certainly there's a material way to apply it, uh, and the, and we should, uh, because the Bible has much to say, certainly beyond this text, and in the book of Proverbs we'll get to um, more eventually about uh, money and debt and, and finances and how to handle those kinds of things, avoid bad circumstances and, and taking money and interest and things like this. So, But we'll cross that bridge when we get there. But for now, there's a spiritual application that I think we should see in this text as well. And, and Paul, uh, excuse me, Solomon says that we should not plan evil against our neighbor. That's the next thing that he addresses here in the context. If you continue reading with me, he says, Do not contend, uh, rather verse 29, Do not devise harm against your neighbor while he lives securely beside you, and do not contend with a man without cause if he has done you no harm. And so the second way that we can love our neighbor as ourself is uh, not pick a fight, right? We ought to be careful that we're pursuing the good of our neighbors. And, you know, that can be difficult. There's no shortage of strife, uh, and there's certainly not a shortage of needless strife. It's, it's all around us, and if we aren't careful, we can get pulled right into the fray. We can just be very picky about the things that, that bother us when we don't no need to be. And there may be times when we need to act as kind of a mediating force between um, our brethren, if we're talking about Christians, or maybe even am- amongst our, our neighbors. Um, but we shouldn't just thrust ourselves into the middle of a, of a conflict that we have no business in. And the Bible warns us against, against that. Uh, but certainly within the church, we're to encourage each other to get along peaceably. And we see that in Philippians chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. Uh, but we don't want to be contentious, I think Solomon's point is. Don't be contentious without a legitimate cause. Because one of our goals in our relationships and our, our dealings with other people is to be at peace with all men insofar as it depends on us, Paul says in Romans chapter 12 and verse 18. So we're, you know, in the country that we live in, and, and sp- especially nowadays, we have all these um entitlements that people seem to be insisting on and i'm not going to get off into a political speech here but i'm saying just as a culture generally speaking we we're enamored with our rights right our right to do this our right to do that and we have to remember the example of jesus who 
had every right and privilege as the Son of God, and yet he did not insist on those things, but he humbled himself to the point of being a servant and becoming a man and taking on flesh and not just doing those things, but going even further than that and and being willing to die uh, on the cross as, as a man without insisting on his right. He sought to sacrifice for others. And even he sought to sacrifice for the people who hated him. And so if that's the bar, if that's the standard for us, then then it should go without saying we need to avoid groundless and flimly, flimsy excuses for, you know, for fights and for strife. Paul say in, in 1 Corinthians 6, why not rather be wronged? You know, endure even when you have a right to charge another of, of wrong. Now that doesn't mean that doesn't mean, and, and some people unfortunately have have taken this to the Bible to say you just be a doormat, but that's not what the Bible is saying at all. The Bible's the Bible says hold people responsible, be sure, and and, and teach them. Uh, but don't be bitter against them. Don't hold a grudge. Right? There's a difference between holding people accountable and holding a grudge. One is commanded and the and the other is sinful, and we can't confuse the two. So don't we shouldn't deliberately plan evil against our neighbor or try to be devious in our ways or seek to extort or take advantage of people uh, at all, whether they live close to us or not, because all men are our neighbors, according to the parable of the Good Samaritan. Uh, but we should do good to, to all men as we have opportunity. And then finally, Solomon says, do not envy a man of violence. Your Bible might say, do not uh, envy your neighbor if he is a violent Man. So, in keeping with this uh, kind of common theme and thread here at the end of this this chapter, uh, that's the we're going to take the more general approach. Do not envy a man of violence. Solomon says, if you continue reading there, uh, verse thirty one. Do not choose any of his ways, for the devious are an abomination to the Lord, and he God is intimate with the upright. You know, in the day to day optics of of things, it can appear that evil and violent men rule the roost, and they're the only ones who seem to be getting ahead. As we think about all the stories that come through the media of perverse politicians, or wicked celebrities, or corrupt businessmen who seem to just mock God with impunity, and they enjoy, you know, the best material things that the world has to offer, and we can get discouraged by that, and we can even be tempted. I think to envy that prosperity and question whether it pays to be good and wise. And Solomon is is giving the resounding, yes, it does pay to be good and wise. Don't be deceived, right? You have to understand that, verse 32, that those folks are an abomination to the Lord, but he wants fellowship, he wants intimacy, verse 32, with the, the upright, because the curse of the Lord is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. The wise will inherit honor, but fools display dishonor. Verse 35 of Proverbs chapter 3. And so Solomon, as he does here, among other places, he's going to paint the, the reality for us. He's he's going to say, yes, this is what you see, and this is how things look with regard, in this case, to, to those who are prospering in, in their wickedness. But the reality is, the reality is... And, that sin always offends the Lord who knows all things and their prosperity 
if it's gained unjustly, is going to be short-lived. All prosperity, I guess we could say, at any rate, is short-lived, but especially that of the wicked. They will be judged, and the wicked will become a spectacle, Solomon says, of shame. Because God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And so continue to prize God's wisdom as Solomon's point. That's what we have to do. And Solomon is going to continue to make his case as we move forward in, in, in this study. You know, as we've seen in, in chapters 2 and 3, he's listed so many things and he's been so vehement. He was inspired, I guess I should say, to be so vehement about the benefits of wisdom and really reinforcing and emphasizing that it leads to favor with, with God and usually favor with, with man. And it, and it usually leads to material prosperity, but certainly it leads to spiritual prosperity and spiritual treasure. It grants peace and security and strength and comfort and, and joy and all the things that I, I believe people, all people long for but all, all too often seek in the wrong places like money or even family or work or pleasure or any number of different things, right? The rich man wanted to take his ease and, and relax, and people flocked to Virginia to try and find this buried treasure, I think, because they were not looking for the material necessarily for itself, but what they believed the material would give them, that security and peace and, and joy. But ultimately, it doesn't come through those things. It comes through Jesus Christ, in whom Paul says are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Have we obeyed him? Are we seeking him and his wisdom through his holy word? Appreciate you joining me this morning. Please continue to pray about these things. I hope to study again with you next week. I'm Jason Garcia, and this has been Faithful Sayings.